Uh, fantastic. Well, it's good to be together. And um, as Christine said, this is not trying to sort of pump book sales. Uh, many of you have already bought it and have just been so encouraging uh, to me about it. And uh, I'm, I'm walking with a, a group of guys each Wednesday morning through the book, and it's just been wonderful um, seeing the Lord meet with his people. And this book was not written in a vacuum. It was written out of uh, this last two years that we've had together as a church. And one of my friends just said, you know, there's that thing of long COVID where you just get tired and a little bit down and you lose your sense of taste and smell and it just doesn't come back quickly. He said, I feel like I've got long COVID of the soul. How about you? <laughs> he was like, I don't get particularly glad or particularly sad about anything. I just kind of feel numb. And I just began to hear that again and again and again. And I began to hear a desperate plea uh, from the people of God, and not just the people of God, but people out in the world who didn't have faith, but are just going, there must be something more. And, and if you're here and you're seeking faith, just big welcome to you. And I hope that you see amongst us uh, a resistance to trying to fake it to make it. That's not what the Christian life is about. Uh, Christianity gives us incredible permission to be brutally honest with ourselves and with God, and we'll see that in the Psalms. And, uh, and I had this kind of intuitive sense that I couldn't put words to until I found it in the Psalms, and that is that we can be in a place of emotional turmoil and spiritual dryness, and we can ask for God to fill us, and He loves to fill us with His presence and His Spirit. But actually, very often, there's a process of pouring out our soul to make space for Him to fill us. And sometimes our souls, it's not just that they are empty, but that they are empty and dry because they're full of the wrong things. We can feel like a sponge that is full of sort of brackish bath water. And if you pour clean water, it just kind of bounces off because it's full. It's saturated. But actually, as we squeeze out our souls, as we process them and pour them out, we make space for God to fill us afresh again. That's the simple idea of the book, and it's found in the Psalms. So let's go to Psalm 42, verse 1. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. There it is. A thirsty soul. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and of Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands His steadfast love and at night, His song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why 
Have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. This is the word of the Lord. You know, my generation was uh, big into burnout. In the 90s, yuppie flu was our pandemic. We were exhausted. Uh, we were redlining on reserve. We were burning the midnight oil. Uh, the Silicon Valley dot-com boom was happening, and many of us, even South Africa, were starting these tech startups in our parents' garage, hoping that we would boom ourselves. And we kind of wore burnout like a badge of honor. At parties, like, how are you doing? Man, I'm exhausted, I'm burnt out. How are you? I'm also burnt out. I found it just fascinating that, that there are people that are burnt out and depleted in these days, but, but that's not the kind of buzzword today that it used to be. It's like uh, today we have a different kind of soul issue, and it's what I call a saturated soul. It's not that we're empty, it's that we're too full. We are too full of the wrong things. We're saturated from the 24-hour news cycle. Uh, we just keep on watching crisis after crisis after crisis, and we wonder why we just feel numb. Our souls are so full of crisis that they almost have an inability to feel compassion anymore. Uh, we're, we're saturated by this slew of mile-wide, inch-deep online acquaintances that we hope would refresh and satisfy our soul, but actually leave us somehow feeling full but empty. Uh, we long for a deeper kind of in-person intimacy, embodied friendship that our souls crave. Uh, we, we're, we're saturated because we tend to escape pain by watching a slew of mindless TikTok dances and one-minute Wagyu steak demos and I mean, don't shake your head, you and I do that. We, we just kind of escape to that stuff in the hope that it'll fill us, but it doesn't. It saturates us. Uh, many of us uh, feel saturated because we're in some sort of responsibility uh, for, for family, uh, for kids, perhaps we're teachers or spiritual leaders or, or business leaders, and we so, so we're full of people's pain and frustration and discouragement and critique and joy and, and, and hope too. It's almost like our soul is like this painting with the kids' bright colors all over it, so many bright colors, so many intense emotions that it's all kind of a dull gray. And you know how it feels. Someone sits with you and they're telling you like this incredible story about how God has come through or how they got a raise or a promotion or got healed. And, and you're like, yes, I should feel really happy for you, but I just don't. I mean, you don't admit that. You're like, oh, that's awesome. But you just kind of feel numb. Can you relate? Or otherwise, you, you watch some terrible crisis in Ukraine or these horrific shootings or hear from a friend about they've got incredibly 
sick or they've lost a loved one and you're like, my heart should be breaking and I do care, but I don't care and why don't I care more? And it's almost that, that, that the guilt that you don't feel more is worse than the lack of feeling altogether. We are not depleted in our day and age as much as we are saturated. We have a problem. We don't feel nothing. We feel too much, such a mix of things that we end up numb. And I, I wonder what it would be like if we took soul detox as seriously as we took body detox. After Thanksgiving or, or Christmas where we go like, okay, I've had an overload of calories. So let me detox, let me hydrate. You know, let me drink tons of California kombucha. I never knew that was a thing until I came here. I quite like kombucha or celery, or you know, let me just like high fiber diet, let me just detox. What would it be if we took our soul detox as seriously? What would it be if we realized that a toxic soul affects our whole as much as a toxic body, if not more? I think for the people of God, it would look like a journey through the Psalms. A, a soul detox looks like a journey through the Psalms. Now, what I'm not saying is that they're not other ways. Uh, and I, I commend you to deep relationships. I commend you to wise counsel. I, 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 I go to a counselor every month and that's part of my soul detox. I have my wife and some close trusted friends and that's, that's part of it. But what this book is written about is actually it's putting emotional health on the bottom shelf for us. And it's saying, do we realize that God shows us in the Psalms that He cares deeply about our emotional health? And He gives us language and vocabulary for how we're feeling in ways that we didn't realize. In other words, the psychology of the soul is not just something that happens in universities and therapeutic offices. It actually happens in the Psalms. John Calvin, 500 years ago, wrote this, the Psalms display the intricate anatomy of all parts of the soul. For there is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented as in a mirror. There's an intricate anatomy of the soul here. What would it be if we realized that the Psalms were not just the songbook of God's people, they were God's emotional health book for His people? And so what we find here in the Psalms is that this son of Korah, the sons of Korah were paid full-time musicians in the temple. They were paid to lead the people of God into the presence of God through the praises of God. And here is this guy who he's supposed to be an expert in the presence of God, and yet he feels like a deer who's dying of thirst as the deer pants streams of living water, so my soul pants for you. Anyone who was raised in the church in the 70s or 80s will immediately hear that old refrain, as the deer panteth for. And it's like, some of you is like, enough already. Will someone shoot that deer? But you know, we sang that song ad nauseum for, for this reason. Firstly, it was a pretty catchy tune. But secondly, it resonates so deeply with every heart's cry. 
everyone goes through those seasons where we're just longing for the streams of God's presence. But we feel so thirsty. We're dying of thirst. And what I want us to see with the son of Korah is that he was caught in a paradox. Firstly, he thirsted for the, for the presence of God. In other words, he was empty. But at the same time, he poured out his soul. You go like, what's going on? Are you empty or full? As the deer pants for streams of living water, verse four, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. What are you, son of Korah? Are you empty or are you full? And I would say both. He is so full of the wrong stuff that he's thirsty. It's like someone who downs a big bag of salty popcorn and they're full, but like, man, they left thirsty. That didn't satisfy me or someone who takes a gulp of seawater. It's like you're full of that seawater, but you left thirsty. That's what's going on. He has a saturated soul. And so he begins by pouring out his soul. And what we'll find is that he, he gives us a, a process of emptying our souls in order to be filled. And this is not a formula. The Psalms are not formulaic, friends. But the Psalms provide us with a formational process to process our souls to make space for the living water of God. And so what he firstly does is he pours out his soul. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. And he starts to pour out his soul by describing what it's like. He says, my soul is in turmoil. All your waves and breakers have crashed over me. Have you ever been dumped by a breaker where it just pushes you down? and your lungs are burning and your nose is stinging because there's salt water up it. And as you come up for air, another breaker pushes you down again. And now you don't know which way is up and which is down. What a beautiful description of a soul in turmoil, a soul downcast, pushed down by the breakers of emotion and circumstance. Beautiful description. Walter Brueggemann, in his book on the Psalms says, there's really two kinds of Psalms. There's the Psalms of orientation, where everything makes sense. All is right with the world. You feel close to God and His presence and His people, and you feel hopeful about the future. And there are those Psalms there. They, they are full of praise, bless the Lord, uh, and, 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 and thank Him for His benefits and His provision and His protection and His victory. There are those seasons. That's why they're those Psalms. But he says, there's another kind of Psalm. It's the Psalms of disorientation. Where nothing makes sense. And God feels far. And we feel far from His people. And we feel disconnected even from ourselves. And we don't know which way is up and which way is down. And Psalm 42 is a Psalm of disorientation. And he says, in these Psalms, we're called to pour out our soul in lament. We're given permission to do that. Because that is, it's not the destination, but that is the layover on the way to hope. And if we bypass this pouring out our soul in lament, what happens is two things, at least. Firstly, we just get nostalgic. If we feel like our soul is in turmoil, downcast, which way is up, which way is down, and we don't actually pour out our souls in lament, we just start to glorify the past. It's what you too said. We glorify the past when the future dries up. I turned 50 this month. 
Yeah, I mean, you can clap, but I mean, it's a milestone. But, you know, I always used to look at old people and go, why are they so nostalgic? Why can't they just get a life? Why can't they just get a future and a hope? Why are they always talking about the glory days when everything was, was, was better and more moral and safer and you could buy you know, a Coke and a burger for 50 cents? And, and you know, the older I get, the more I find myself doing that. I'm like, are my glory days behind me? Is there no... <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> but that's the reality. As we grow older, we, we start to go, oh, well, well, maybe all I've got, you know, like a baseball player who retires at age 30 and all they've got is to tell stories about their glory days. And if we don't deal with our present reality of feeling in turmoil, we start to glorify the past. And you see this in this psalm. He says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to lead the throng with joyful shouts, the joyful procession. This is a guy, he's a worship leader. And it's like he's got all the gear. He's got the Gibson J45 and he's got the skinny jeans and he's got the, the Maverick City hoodie on, you know? He's got the, got the stuff, but actually he's longing for his glory days. He's kind of a backslidden worship leader. And he's no longer at the front of the procession. He's kind of dragging his Air Force Ones to church. He's at the back. And all of us find ourselves in that place at some, some time where you're like, oh gosh, I was in a better place with God at some point. What do you do if you get there? You've got to resist nostalgia. And you've got to say, I'm going to pour out my soul in lament. Maybe it's repentance. Maybe it's acknowledging that life is just tough and I feel hopeless, but we've got to learn to lament. And you know, lament is not the same as grumbling. The Israelites were disqualified for grumbling. Lament is actually, it's not self-pity either. It's pouring out our complaint to God with honesty and yet with trust. It's like those disciples saying, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I've got these things that I'm wrestling with. I don't know which way is up and which way is down. And I wanna say a third of the Psalms are lament. You have permission to grieve. My dad read my book, he was so kind. And he said, Al, I realized like I raised you, I raised all the kids not to grumble and not to complain. And he said, but in that, I think I didn't give you permission to lament. And he said, I've realized that in my own life, I've suffered in my soul because I have not lamented in a biblical way. Beloved, a whole book in the Bible is given to lament. It's called Lamentations. And I just wanna say God is big enough and strong enough and secure enough to cope with your lament. Your wife might not be and your best friend might not be, and even your counselor might not be. And the problem is we pour out our grumbling to others because we don't think we can to God. And it's not either or, but I just wanna say, let's go to God first. And then if there's still a lament left, we give it to our husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, friend, counselor, therapist, pastor, but let's not go first to them. No one is as secure as God. He can cope with your lament. 
I think some of us are raised stoic, got a British background. Our war cry was keep calm and carry on. Some of us have been raised to say, well, you know, it's about doctrine. As long as there's sound doctrine, you're gonna be okay. And doctrine is vital, but some of the most doctrinally pure people are some of the most sad and grumpy because they haven't processed their souls. They haven't processed this gap between what I know is true and what I'm actually experiencing. And when we live in that gap, we've got to pour out our souls and lament. You know, sometimes our culture, and I'm speaking especially to men, tells us just like cowboys don't cry. And I just wanna say, what do you do about David? Where David said, I have drenched my couch with tears. I mean, this was the king, the warrior, the bear hunter the Goliath slayer. I've drenched my couch with tears, ugly cry. Some of you would say he's a crybaby. And yet he said, you collect all my tears in a bottle, Psalm 56. Isn't that beautiful? In other words, my tears, your tears are precious to God. He collects them in a bottle. He's like a, an attentive physician of the soul. And I know that there's a time, both for men and women, to be strong, strong for your kids and strong for your team, strong for your colleagues, etc. But there is a time. I mean, forget David for a while. What about Jesus? Hebrews 5, in the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up loud cries and tears. Can you say that with me? Loud cries and tears. Jesus is the very example of what it is to be human. Loud cries and tears and he was heard because of his reverence. Cowboys don't cry, Jesus did. You wanna be a cowboy, you wanna be like Jesus. And I know, my friends tease me, they say your bladder is behind your eyes. Cry easily and I know we've gotta be careful of never manipulating people with tears. But there is a time when you pour out your soul with lament and there's healing in that. So he pulls out his soul and then he does a beautiful thing and he, he listens to his soul. Verse 5a, why are you so downcast on my soul? Why are you cast down? And why are you in turmoil within me? It's not enough for him just to say, my soul is in turmoil. He wants to know why. Sometimes the most courageous thing we can be is curious about our souls what I call the thing behind the thing. Okay, I'm feeling this way. I'm feeling like I'm being dumped by a breaker, but why? What's, what's going on? And that's often where other people are so helpful, where you sit with a close friend, counselor, pastor, husband, wife, and you say, I'm feeling this, but, but why do you think it is? And, and you actually investigate your soul. You interrogate your soul a little bit. And what we can see in this Psalm is there seem to be two things beneath the thing that are causing turmoil. And the first we find in verse six, where he says, my soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and from Mount Mizar. Uh, Mount Hermon and Mount Mizar were on the outskirts of the borders of Israel. They were far from Jerusalem and far from the temple. And so what seemed to have happened is that he had not just felt far from the presence of God, he had distanced himself from the people of God. And that was a thing behind the thing. And in our culture, especially, 
of rampant individualism. Very often, if, we down, if we're feeling down, we distance ourselves, we isolate ourselves. And this guy is going like, oh gosh, man, from Mount Mizar, I called to you. But I'm actually remembering when I was part of the throng, leading the procession. So first there was isolation from embodied community. And that's a warning to us. But secondly, there was wounds. The thing beneath the thing. Verse 10, as a, with, a, with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. And this is a whole sermon in and of itself, but you know, we, we grow up with this thing of sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never harm me. But he says, with a deadly wound from my enemy's words. So there's a second thing beneath the thing, and that is that he's wounded. And what tends to happen is if we are wounded amongst the people of God, we isolate to find healing. But actually, if you are wounded in community, it's back in a healthy community that you find healing. It's not out in Mount Mizar. I mean, sometimes you need to move and find a healthy community. Sometimes you work it out in that community where you were wounded. But here's the reality. The people of God aren't perfect. And so we wound one another and we get wounded. And it's in that place where God like, is wooing him back, wooing us back, back not only to his presence, but to his people to find healing. You know, our hope for healing from wounds though, ultimately is not just in the people of God, it's, it's in Christ alone. I wanna say that repentance ultimately is the heart of our healing. When we acknowledge our sin, we acknowledge our own tendency to go our own way and we come to Christ for forgiveness, we are healed. By his stripes, we are healed. But this guy is finding that actually, I am where I am because I'm wounded. And I, I want us to just hear that because sometimes our soul is in turmoil and we get the counsel to repent. Well, just repent and you'll come right. And we do repent and, and we don't come right. And part of that is we haven't realized the difference between sin that requires repentance and wounds that need healing. If you are wounded, you can't repent of a wound. Someone has sinned against you. And even if you can repent of something in that relationship, you actually have to heal slowly through forgiveness of that person and bringing yours. I mean, in, in a similar way that if you get cancer, you cut it out quickly. I mean, sin is like a cancer that through repentance, you cut it out quickly. But, but a wound is different. It's, it, it, it's more like you get a, a burn wound. You can't cut that out. You actually have to apply ointment slowly to that thing. And that's what happens when we're wounded in our souls. It's not overnight, it's not one and done. We can forgive that person, but we find sometimes over weeks and months, we have to continue forgiving them 70 times seven, bring our souls back into the presence of God. We find ourselves getting angry again. Oh God, here I am. I'm still wounded, I'm healing, but I'm still wounded. Oh God, I send that person away dead free. I forgive them, Lord, please heal me. And it can take time. Darren Patrick said this about the difference between sin and wounds. He said, we often get sin and wounds confused. Sins are rebellious places in our heart that need repenting. Wounds are tender places in our hearts that need healing. You cannot repent of wounds and you cannot go to therapy for sins. 
I think part of, the, of being in a healthy community is, is sitting with people who are wise and telling your story and asking them generally. I, I, I ask you to ask people around you, in my life, what do you see that is sin that needs repenting of? And what do you see that is a wound that needs healing? It's one of the most beautiful things when people help you to see yourself. Our hope though, ultimately, is not in community, it's in Christ the wounded one, the wounded healer. Isaiah 53, talking about this wounded healer, said, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our sins and crushed for our transgressions. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. Listen to the fullness of the gospel, beloved. He was wounded for our sins and we need to repent to receive healing from our sins. But he was also wounded, it says, for our griefs and our sorrows. Can you see the fullness of the gospel? That there's healing from sin, there's also healing from griefs and sorrows. What a wonderful Jesus. Did you realize you were coming to that wonderful Jesus that both carries your sin and carries your sorrows? Edward Shalito wrote in 1956, I think, beautiful little poem called the Jesus of the Scars. He says, the other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. Beloved, this is the good news of the gospel. There is no other God but Jesus who was wounded for us. And to our wounds, his wounds can speak. So bring your wounds to Jesus. And thirdly, what we see is that he begins to speak to his soul. And I love this. This is when kind of the, the plane starts to correct. It hits the bottom as this guy acknowledges there's a thing behind the thing, my dislocation from community, my woundedness. And then he begins to speak to his soul. He says, why are you downcast on my soul? Verse five. And then he says, Put your hope in God, for I will again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Can you see the psalm beginning to turn here? He's listening to his soul. What's going on? What's the thing behind the thing? And then it's almost like he's grabbing his soul by the scruff of its neck and saying, okay, enough already. Now you're gonna hear some truth. And I love this, you know, because this really talks about self-talk. This guy's talking to himself. And some of us go, oh, you know, anyone who talks to themselves, they, they, they're crazy, they're out of their mind. I beg to differ. I wanna say talking to yourself is the first sign of emotional health. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his book, Spiritual Depression says, most of the unhappiness in your life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. I don't hear what I'm not saying. We've just had a whole point on listening to yourself. But I wanna ask you, at what point do you stop listening to yourself and say, now soul, you listen to me. We always used to tell our kids, we still do sometimes, you are the boss of your feelings. We would say, hey, feelings are a wonderful servant, but they're a wicked master. Don't be ruled by your feelings. And we tend to fall either side of the horse. Either we deny our souls or otherwise we are slaves to them. And isn't the Word of God so much wiser 
than our falling off the horse. It's saying, oh yeah, absolutely listen to your soul. But at some point then, you actually listen to God and what He says. You see, our culture preaches us this gospel. Be true to yourself. Be true to yourself. Whatever you feel, you act out on that. Whatever you feel about yourself, you are that thing. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says, yes, you listen to your feelings. You don't deny them. But then at some point, you're not just being true to yourself. You be honest with yourself, sure. But then you be true to God. Because you know what? God knows you better than you know yourself. And, and when I think of that thing of like, be true to yourself, I just go, I am such a bundle of paradoxes. To which self should I be true? I mean, I feel differently about everything almost every day. So if I'm gonna be true to myself, I'm just gonna be an absolute wreck. No one will be able to ever trust me or rely on me. Because well, I'm just being true to myself, man. I'm just keeping it real. To which self should we be true? And what, what we see here is the Bible says, don't ignore yourself. Don't ignore your soul, but ultimately be true to God and His Word. And that means that in the words of Mr. Rogers, feelings are both mentionable and manageable. In other words, we can mention how we're feeling, but we are not slaves to that. Through the Spirit of God and the Word of God, we can manage those things. They don't have to drive us. We can steer them. Amen? Do you believe that? We can. So let me bear my soul to you a little bit. This is how I talk to myself what I do on any given Sunday or Monday. Alan, you feel this way, but that is not the truest thing about you. Alan, this has been done to you, but that is not the truest thing about you. Alan, you have done this, but that is not the truest thing about you. The truest thing about you, Alan, is not what has been done to you. It has been what has been done for you by Jesus. That is the truest thing. Now, Alan, you wrap your life around that truth. I want to ask you, in Jesus' name, speak to yourself. Speak to your soul. And allow your soul's reality to come into the greater reality of the Word of God. We can train our souls to hope in God. We can train our souls to praise God. He says, put your hope in God for I will ever praise Him. I've found, you know, there's a connection between the body and the soul. If I am feeling really downcast, the best thing I can do is raise my hands and praise to God. And that is not faking it until you make it. That is saying, look, I'm feeling downcast. I'm, I'm being honest with myself, but actually God, there's a higher reality and that, that is you are good and faithful even if I don't feel it or see it and I'm raising my hands to you. I find that that actually affects the posture of my soul. I dare you to try it. Maybe just try it with like one hand in your pocket and the other one doing a high five like Alanis Morissette, you know what I'm saying? I'm dating myself right now, right? Like, like just 
go like, how does the posture of my body actually help my soul? If I'm feeling rebellious, the best thing I can do is kneel. You come into my bedroom, I mean, please don't, but if you come into my bedroom, you'll often find me kneeling with my head on the bed because that is me saying, God, I'm not feeling very submitted, but I am. And then actually that starts to drip into my soul. Rather than, oh, I'm just keeping it real. I'm feeling rebellious. So I must just act out on that. Come on, beloved. There's a higher truth at work. Speak to your soul. And finally, we'll land with this. Refresh your soul. I love this, that he goes through a process of pouring out his soul and listening to his soul and speaking to his soul. And then verse seven, he says, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. My, by day, the Lord commands a steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I want you to see the progression here. He begins like a deer panting for streams of living water. But after processing his soul, pouring out his saturated soul, he doesn't just get a stream, he gets plunged into a waterfall of God's steadfast love. Isn't that beautiful? The Lord is just longing to pour out Himself on us. We get much more than we deserve, much more than we hope for, much more than we bargain for. A waterfall of God's steadfast love. There's some work for us to do in our souls, but ultimately it's God's lavish loving kindness. as he pours out the brackish water of regret and nostalgia and woundedness and isolation, he finds himself plunged into the refreshing water of God's steadfast love. And you know, our hope, our ultimate hope when our souls are thirsty is this, we are not a deer, we are a sheep. We are the sheep of his pasture and he is our shepherd. And the good shepherd says, I will lead my sheep to streams of living water. So you might feel like a deer panting, but actually it's not ultimately up to you. It's up to your shepherd. You trust in your shepherd. You be led by your shepherd. He will lead you to refreshing. He will lead you to streams of living water. How do we know this? Because Jesus on his way to the cross, on his way to be wounded for our sorrows, our sin, and our transgressions, he stands up at the feast of the tabernacles. He could have get, got killed prematurely for doing it. He stands up, John 7, and he says, if anyone is thirsty, let him drink of me. And if you believe in me, streams of living water will well up to eternal life. And John the beloved puts a little Caveat at the bottom is, and he was talking about the Holy Spirit who would be poured out. It's Jesus on his way to the cross, the wounded one, was making provision, saying, after I'm raised from the dead, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh and anyone who is thirsty. It'll be like streams of living water welling up. That's the hope. The shepherd who died like a lamb will lead you to living waters but make space for the living waters. Wring out your soul like a waterlogged sponge because he wants to fill you, amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that your wounds have paid our ransom and that your wounds 
can speak to our wounds. Not a God, but thou alone has wounds. You were wounded for us, Jesus. And we thank you that you are healing your people here today. We thank you that you are filling your people here today. I thank you that on Pentecost Sunday, the same promise that the early church in Acts believed, that the church in the Reformation and the Middle Ages, uh, that the church in World War I and World War II, that same promise that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh throughout the ages, that, that same promise is true for us today. So we ask Jesus that you would pour out your Spirit as we pray. Pour out your Spirit as we sing. Flood your people with a waterfall of your steadfast love, we pray. And everyone said,